0: To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org donate. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at Marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at Marketplace.org slash donate.
1: This is Marketplace After the Bell. I'm Scott J. Gow, and I'm here to make sense of what happened this week in business and the economy. It's Friday, October 16th. I know it's become a terrible cliché at this point, but several events this week stoked the divide between Wall Street and Main Street. Don't get me wrong, both streets have some problems. Wall Street's problem was summed up succinctly by Edward Hattis of BreakingViews.com.
2: covid sex has the kind of problem that a lot of companies would want. It's making too much money.
1: But many Americans have a different sort of problem. They still don't have a job, so they're not making any money. Or they've lost their home because they can't afford to pay the mortgage. Those problems are the real economy, and they probably aren't going away anytime soon. Here's how mutual fund manager Whitney Tilson put it.
2: This is something that's going to be with us for a while, and there's no real way to hurry it up. As Warren Buffett said, you can't get nine women pregnant and have a baby in one month.
1: (laughs) That's a good one, but patience is wearing thin with the public. Talk this week of record bonuses at Goldman Sachs lit up the blogosphere. The website Gawker launched the Goldman Sachs Project. They're asking people to write in if they see or hear about Goldman Sachs employees spending money lavishly. The anger is understandable, but perhaps more of it should be directed toward the government so that we're not put in this position again, where taxpayers rescue the banks for fear of the economy collapsing and then a year later see those same banks making enormous profits while the rest of the economy suffers. The problem is that we have to care. It's not that we want to care how much money Goldman Sachs makes. I think Americans would rather worry about fixing potholes or fixing the schools on Main Street or starting up a new business. But it's awfully hard for people to do that when they're still out to sea without a life preserver, a job, a loan. And they see the people that were rescued from the storm sitting on the beach drinking a pina colada. Marketplace, providing you what you need to know about business and economics on air and online. Explore everything Marketplace has to offer, from explainers on technical terms to stories on personal finance at Marketplace.org. Nowhere is the divide between what's happening in Manhattan and what's happening in the rest of the country more vivid than on the bank's books themselves. Investment banking is raking in the dough the retail banking side is showing losses on mortgages and credit cards. So you have a bank like Goldman Sachs quadrupling its profits, while Bank of America reports a billion-dollar loss. For more on where the banks are at this point, we turn to Bart Narder with the bank consulting firm Sellent. Bart, what did the numbers you saw this week tell you? Okay,
2: there's two things going on with the big banks. Let's look at J.P. Morgan City and, and uh, B of A. These big banks have both investment banks, retail banks, and huge credit card operations and huge mortgage operations. J.P. Morgan Chase hasn't been as impacted as Citi has, and they're a much stronger investment bank.
1: Right, and, and obviously so is Goldman Sachs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even to a, more, a much right. They extent. Right, and
2: they don't have a mortgage operation or a credit card operation to, to drag them down.
1: So they're just printing money.
2: Well, no, that would be the job of the federal government. They're (laughs)
1: collecting it. Right. These low rates have made it possible for the investment banks to to churn out so much profit this year. Uh,
2: That's certainly been a tailwind.
1: So in terms of the uh, loans that are on the books of of these banks that are more heavily dependent on mortgages and credit cards, those things are still sitting there.
2: Not only are they. Sitting there, but they're they're sitting there and deteriorating. Write-offs are growing, especially at City. They are continuing to show increases in non-performing assets.
1: So down the road, are we looking at the possible implosion of a couple of these banks?
2: I don't think implosion. I think that a year ago or six months ago, we we had problems that were we really didn't know how to put boundaries around. That they were so great that we didn't know how low things could go. I think we have a sense of that now, which is why uh, the turmoil isn't as great as it was in the past, and why stock prices are better.
1: But isn't that also dependent on the unemployment rate?
2: It is, but I, I think it's still a bounded problem. City, for example, has created City Holdings, mm-hmm. which holds all their bad assets and kind of keeps them segregated, at least in a nominal way. I'd say both Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan Chase have put bounds on their problems to the point where they've been able to return their tarp money. They are very confident that they understand worst case scenario, and in the worst case scenario, they feel they still don't need federal
1: funds. But just today, we got the numbers on foreclosures for the third quarter, and they were again at a record high. And many people say that there's a lot of hidden foreclosures still out there, that uh, there could be another huge wave of foreclosures because of the moratorium that delayed, probably the inevitable. Won't that have an impact on on, on their books?
2: It will and it won't. How banks do accounting. You have a loan on your books. What hits the profit is a provision for loan loss. And when you move money from profit or surplus to provision for loan loss, that's what hits the income statement. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is when a loan becomes a non-performing asset or non-accruing asset, when you write it down, you take money out of your provision to reduce income. So banks are provisioning for this. And that's what's hitting income now is they're setting aside provisions for these upcoming losses. But they believe that they understand how big they will be and they've set aside money for them. Have Um, they set aside enough money? I think some banks have and some banks haven't.
1: Do you see the possibility of Uh, the retail banks somewhere in the near future starting to finally lend to to small business?
2: Well, there's two issues. One, do you have the funds to lend? And two, do you have credit-worthy customers? So I know commercial lenders at banks who have said, we haven't changed our lending standards. It's just the customers are coming to us in a worse financial situation, which makes it a bad idea to make loans.
1: So it's it's kind of a chicken and egg thing.
2: <laughs> well, it's a combination of chicken and egg thing and, and supply and demand. Banks now have the supply; they have deposits, they have cash, but the demand, viable demand, isn't there. You know, if you put it on a small business or a retail sense, gosh, I just lost my job. I'd like to get a credit card because I need the money. There's demand there, but a smart bank shouldn't necessarily make that loan to me. Uh, same with small businesses. You know, their revenues are down. They need cash. But unless they can demonstrate a way that that cash can be repaid, I don't think it's it's a bank's job to make that loan for the good of the country.
1: So how does this get resolved then?
2: I think what, what we'll see is an export-led recovery where the big multinationals will be selling overseas. Mm-hmm. It's, even mid-sized businesses will be meeting demand overseas. I wouldn't be surprised if the dollar drops given the number of dollars that have flooded the economy, which will also further encourage exports. And and I think we'd have an export-led recovery.
1: All right, Bart. Well, thanks so much for your perspective. Thank you. Bart Narder is with the banking group Sellant, a financial research and consulting firm. This is Marketplace After the Bell. I'm Scott Jagow. The Dow hit 10,000 this week. The guy to talk to about that is certainly our senior business correspondent, Bob Moon. Bob, thanks for being here. Hey, Scott. Did you get all warm and fuzzy this week when the Dow <laughs> hit 10,000?
3: <laughs> well, no, it's just a number. You know, It's a nice round number, but it ain't too warm and fuzzy for me. I mean, there's still a lot that we need to worry about out there.
1: I have a 401k, so I'm interested in where the Dow sits. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to know what is driving it?
3: Well, that's a good question. It's, it's probably more the big institutional investors who are doing this. And the reason that we can say that is, you know, where all that money has been going that Uncle Sam has been giving the banks and everything, a lot of it has been going into the stock market. The financial system is flush with cash. And they are, after all, in the business of investing. So that's where the money goes. And that the volume has been relatively light on the stock market, which means that it's fairly easy to move the market in one way or the other when the volume is light. Well, in this case, everybody sold off their stocks, Mm -hmm. particularly back in the spring. And the law of supply and demand meant that
1: prices had to go up. So you're telling me that large institutional investors, they have to put their money somewhere. Mm -hmm. They're putting it back into the stock market. But People like you and I are, are are not necessarily dipping the toe into the water yet.
3: Not necessarily. In fact, I, I talked to uh, Richard Suttmeyer, who's chief market strategist for ValueEngine.com, and this is the way he put it.
2: Firms like Goldman Sachs and the hedge funds, they can just power the market higher. They have the performance benchmarks they have to make. So it's really professional investors' money that's driving this market. The individuals are only involved if they have money in mutual funds.
3: And Scott, you mentioned your 401ks. Well, the way most of us end up investing in the stock market is through mutual funds. But I looked at figures from Investment Company Institute, and they show that that kind of investing is actually way down for the stock market. A lot of that money has gone into money market funds, not stocks. Hmm. Uh, Their data shows that more than $205 billion was pulled out of stock funds between September of last year and the end of March. And you might think, ah, okay, well, the end of March, that was when the market rally started. So the money must have started flowing going in. But actually only fifty six billion was put back into stock funds between April and the end of August. That's the last time we have real comprehensive data. And in fact, there's even a hint that on a weekly basis small investors remove two billion to four billion dollars more than they put into those funds that focus primarily on domestic stocks. So the money has to be coming from somewhere else. More likely that it's the big big money investors and the big institutions.
1: So maybe I'm not making much return on my 401k or 403b technically. Well, possibly
3: not, because if the money is the, in the money market funds, mm-hmm. the returns have been pretty
1: paltry so far. Really paltry. <laughs> All right. The other thing I'm concerned about is the fact that Wall Street is going in one direction and saying one thing, but these are public companies that depend on the economy being healthy. Mm-hmm. So why are their stocks doing so well if the economy isn't healthy? Well, and that suggests another question. How high
3: is the Dow
1: going to go? We've
3: reached this threshold of 10,000, but we're a long way from the 14,000 mark that we had been just a couple of years ago. I talked to James Weiss. He's chief investment officer for Massachusetts-based Weiss Capital Management, and he's hopeful that the Dow is going to continue to rise, but probably not all the way to 14,000 for a long time. And here's what he had to say.
2: Fundamentals don't support a runaway bull market, that's for sure, because we have plenty of uncertainty left to deal
1: with. And in fact, fasten your seatbelts because he thinks things are going to get real volatile again. So we could see the Dow dropping back to 7,000 or something like that.
3: Well, I'm not sure that we're going to see a big drop, unless, of course, there's some real bad
1: news. And then all bets are off. And the banking consultant I talked to earlier in the podcast, Bart Narder, was saying that a lot of companies are making their profits overseas because Asia and Latin America, they're starting to improve, probably doing a little bit better relative to the U.S. economy. And that's one reason why there's optimism. But Wall Street is, in general, a forward-looking tool. It doesn't represent the economy necessarily necessarily. It certainly doesn't represent the economy, but <laughs> it Not is right now. But it is uh, a forward-looking device.
3: Well, it is. I talked to Sam Stovall. who's chief market strategist for Standard & Poor's, and he was saying, look, all these economists who are saying all these bad things about the economy right now, maybe they need to start looking forward a little bit and taking a lead from the stock market, which does look maybe six months into the future, and maybe by the fact, he says that the GDP is more likely to go up than these economists are suggesting. Here's what Sam Stowell had to say.
2: Usually the market tends to bounce to the downside to sort of catch its breath and get ready for another move higher. But our expectation is that the trend is still your friend, and we probably will continue to work our way higher, at least in the near term.
3: I guess this all comes down, Scott, to a game of who do you trust here? Because I also saw another quote uh, on one of the blogs that said, Markets tend to anticipate economic news but they don't necessarily predict it accurately.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I want to trust uh, 10,000 necessarily either.
3: Mm -hmm. It's a good round number. Let's leave it at that.
1: Bob Moon, our senior business correspondent. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. You know, I think the only 10,000 that I trust, the 10,000 maniacs. And that's After the Bell for this week. I'm Scott J. Gow. I'll be back next Friday to make sense of what's happening in business and the economy. In the meantime, read more about these topics at my blog, The Scratchpad at marketplace.org. Have a great weekend.